when I was, I, old, I was about to know. ask you if you were home or if you were somewhere else. I wasn't sure. I was you at home. I okay. Was home I was watching the race and I'm like, oh, sweet. I'm going to hit the Oaks Derby double. I'm going to get this exacta. I'm going to get this try. I mean, I, I had it. I had it all. I, I, had, I was like, I was already counting Benjamins. Yep. Right? So was I. I and, was then like, I see, and then I saw the horse go by everybody. And all I did was like, go, no. See, for the longest time, I didn't even know it was him. I thought it was uh, Happy Jack because the uh, 21 is lavender and the two is white. So they look very similar and you can't see the one because Sonny's leg was over it. I just saw this horse coming and I kept saying, who was that? Who was that? And Eric Reed's passing out beside me. And Kyle is literally like doubled over in hysterics and can't breathe. And I'm like literally standing there, like in the video, my mouth hanging open because I'm literally just like, what the hell? What, what happened? Like, I was so confused. And like, honestly, I didn't even know what happened until they hung the numbers and the names up because you can't hear Travis's call or Larry's call because everything is so loud. But literally when that horse won that race, that place was dead silent. Oh, I know. I don't think. I don't think anybody had any clue who it was. Welcome into a very special edition of the GOAT Zoom Room. I'm Caitlin Free, joined as always by Andy Villanueva and Andrew Champagne. Um, to say that this is a special show is to say the least going to be our Derby 148 recap. Make it to some Oaks and some undercard stuff as well. The Oaks also very, very special and historic in its own right. But wow, guys, is really all I can say. I, I've seen a lot in horse racing. Granted, I haven't been in the industry as, you know, as much as a lot of people. But I, I've definitely seen... My fair share, whether it be in person or watching on television or, you know, on my laptop or iPad. But this is the most shocking thing I believe I have ever seen. This is Mind That Bird and more. And really, the only way I can explain it is by God and the perfect storm. Rich Strike is what dreams are made of. Guys, please take me through your thoughts as the field turned for home. Uh, I thought I was... the field turned for home and I was like, crown pride, crown pride was going way too fast. And I'm like, I think I texted, I texted the better half and I told her suicidal pace, somebody's going to close on it. And then I saw epicenter get the lead and I'm like, Oh, dollar, dollar bills y'all. And then I screamed as loud as I could, which meant that the wife had to run up the stairs to check to see if I was alive because she thought I had fallen. Um, so yeah, um, uh, I was in shock. Of course, thank you for the comments afterwards. That was hilarious. Thank you for the up close personal information on, on Eric Reed. And, uh, that pretty much made up for, for everything else. So I, I'm still sort of dissecting everything because turning for home, I thought I had the race crushed absolutely positively crushed dead to rights. It's a weird game sometimes where you can have 98.7% of the race nailed, absolutely crushed, check all the boxes and still lose. Um, I wanted no part of Taiba or White Barrio. Check those boxes. Epicenter was going to lead turning for home. Check that box. 
Zandon was going to come running in behind him, but needed a lot to go right. And closers sometimes need a lot to go right. Underlay at the win price. Check that box. Eighth pole, I'm counting my money. I've got win bets. I've got doubles. I've got exactas. I've got a whole bunch of other different things going with Epicenter on top and Zandon underneath. Then I look down towards the rail. First of all, I initially thought that was Happy Jack because all I saw initially was the two on the saddle club. I didn't see the silks. I didn't see any of that. I just saw a big old two looking right at me. I went on record multiple times as saying Happy Jack at 20 to one was the worst bet in the history of the Kentucky Derby. I was relieved. And then that relief turned to shock once I realized who that horse was if it wasn't Happy Jack. It was Rich Strike at 80 some odd to one. Ouch. It was uh, shocking doesn't begin to describe it. You could come up with reasons to throw Rich Strike in underneath, including the total meltdown situation that we wound up getting. Using that horse on top, I don't know whether that took guts or stupidity, but if any of you out there had that horse for any legitimate handicapping reason on top, salute. More power to you. You know you know what I find funny? What's that? You guys are so young. I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, you guys are talking about mind that bird and how shocked you are at an 80 to one shot. And I'm like, I was sitting back and thinking while Caitlin was opening the show, I don't ever recall Arcon um, trainer passing out. I don't remember. Arcon was a multiple graded stakes winner, and so was mine that bird. They yeah, look like was, American Pharaoh on paper compared to this horse. Arcon didn't because he was trying dirt for the first time. He's 99 to yeah. 1. Yeah. Yeah. Arcon, um, martial law, <laughs> when he won, was a monster prize. He shouldn't have won. I've struck a nerve was another one. Uh-huh. And then what's um and then uh oh geez. Order of Australia was Sunday silence and the swaps. Yep. Right? I mean it happens. It's horse racing. Yep. It does happen. I've just never seen something like that to that magnitude and to be that shocked and especially to see it, you know, in person. So here's so here, here's the thing I'm asking both of you. What's more shocking to you guys? Are you guys more shocked at the fact that 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 horse that showed absolutely nothing other than one win won the race, or were you shocked at the pace that we all agreed was going to happen ended up being worse than what we thought it would be? A. Um, I was far far more shocked at a, because all it takes is one set of connections deciding they don't want to face kickback and are going to go early, regardless of what the pace is for something like what we saw in the first six furlongs of the Derby to happen. That, that has happened before horses like song and a prayer the year Monarcos won the Kentucky Derby. Uh, There have been instances where sprinters have gotten into the Derby field and gone ridiculously fast up front. Yeah. Trinneberg. Not necessarily to the degree that we saw, but we have seen that happen before. Uh, It's a case where, look, there were horses that 
even though I wasn't particularly crazy about them, I could have made a case if you liked the horse. For instance, simplification came in slow on figures, but never seemed to run a terrible race. If you liked him, I couldn't talk you off of that horse. Uh, a couple of other 20 to 30 to one shots. We talked a lot about Zozos in the uh, show before the draw when arguably he got compromised as much as anybody. I mean, if you were fond of the Lexington, you could probably have seen Tawny Port out running his odds. I can understand justifying that for a number of different horses. I couldn't have done that with this one. I totally agree and i i'm definitely with what andy said and what you said andrew it's a for me because for weeks now i've been saying summer is tomorrow is trinnyberg 2.0 i think what made it so much worse is christoph sumion uh deferred from the plan and pressed the pace with crown pride i don't know if crown pride was just so keyed up because he literally looked like he was going to eat somebody in the paddock he was just monstrous his neck was bowed he was on his toes it was really one of the best appearances I've ever seen from a horse. And I think he just either took out, took off from out from underneath the Kristoff or I'm not sure what happened, but the first half mile was record time. They went faster than secretariat. They went faster than Monarco. So it was way much more. Than, huh? 45 and change. Yes. It was way more than anybody ever expected. And that part shocked me. So I figured, you know, Epicenter would barely hang on and the closers would be coming, which they were. So the race set up the way I expected to. Yes, they did go a lot faster than I expected them to. But I looked back at some of my comments from watching Bridge Strike at Turfway. Um, by the way, I have seen this horse run in person four times before the Kentucky Derby. And I'm probably more familiar with him than most people just because I've seen him so many times and I've had to handicap races with him being in it including his main maiden breaking race. Um, if you're a serious horse player and you like that horse to win the race, I'm sorry, but you're lying. Like you have to be lying because there's nothing in that form other than him maybe stretching out with the distance, needing pace and liking the track. Okay. His best buyer speed figure on the dirt was a 64 going up against hundreds, 97 stuff. It just, it doesn't compute. There's no way unless you run that race a hundred times, this is the only time that all the correct holes open up, the pace is that fast, the right horses back up and move out of the way. It just like, like you said, Andy, it happens, but it's so rare. And it really, the perfect set of circumstances has to happen. I remember I looked back at my notes from Turfway the first time he ran there and it was in the Leonidas Stakes, um, named after a Kentucky Derby winner from the past. And, um, my notes were, uh, I had him hitting the board for maybe third or fourth. I believe he was an underneath play for me that day. He finished third. I said, bread better for the dirt. will get better as the distances go longer. That being said, I constructed a monster ticket on Derby day, went in with a few people. And even though so many people have said, take all of them in the Derby. I was so comfortable throwing out a couple of horses and not thinking twice about it. That is a mistake I will never make again. <clears throat> he was the first one I got rid of, by the way. Oh, he was, he was mine too. He was up there for me. Uh, Happy Jack was probably the first toss, but uh, yeah, by the way, can we just do a quick public service announcement and then we'll get back to Rich Strike. <laughs> sure. If your name is Jack, stop with the hunchbacks. Just stop it. 
unconditionally stop it. Yeah, I'm looking. Happy Jack went off at 23 to 1 and should have been 70 to 1. Easily. Yep. Like, I mean, I, I'm, with, I'm with you, Andrew. When I was standing there in the paddock watching, I thought it was Happy Jack because, and I was saying this before you came on and it was just Andy and I track, chatting. Sonny Leone had his boot over the one and the 21 is lavender and the two is white, which looked very similar on camera and in person. So I was just watching and I'm like, I turned and I looked at everybody. I was like, who is that? Who was that? And that's why, where all the hoopla is going on to my right. And like, it still doesn't like catch me that these are the rich strike people, even though I know that's Eric Reed. I thought rich strike maybe ran like fourth behind Zandon and epicenter. I never dreamed that was him that won the race. And looking back three, three days later, like I, I still don't believe that actually happened just because you think about it. And like I said, yes, there are upsets and then there's upsets that you're like, okay, they could run this race a million times and it's only going to set up like this one time. And it happened to be that one time. I'm, I'm still, I'm still shocked. I mean, you have to be, um, I went back and looked at the, the, uh, thoroughgraph numbers for that race. And I was like, oh, man, I there, there are a lot of horses here that I did not throw out that I should have thrown out just based on career best thoroughgraph numbers off their last race. Mm-hmm. You know, Tawny Port was one of them. Uh, Taba, Taba I had to use underneath because I just don't trust the connections. Um, somebody named Andrew Champagne kind of talked me into Messier after I was listening to the podcast last week. No excuses for that horse. Uh, that no. just going off of visuals, that horse look, I don't want to say looked like a winner with four furlongs to go. Oh, he did look like he was going to win. It, it looked close because for a couple of strides, I thought maybe, and then I saw Epicenter just cruising up without being asked behind him. And it reminded me a little bit of what we saw on Friday with Secret Oath challenging Echo Zulu and Luis Sai is doing the look back and everyone else saying, okay, we're running for second right now. But yeah, uh, yeah, he just stopped like he just flat out stopped. You know, he reminds me of, and I can't think of the horse's name, but Bafford had him. Um, Jesus, how recent Bafford trained Jesus, really? (laughs) No, you could pull some people into believing that. There are some people that are already posting that. And by the way, if you are out there and you are posting that in any way, shape or form, the Kentucky Derby was a fixed race, go away. I'm not saying stop. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm simply saying go away and that I will never have time for you at all, ever. There's way way too much money on the line. I don't even think you could fix that race to set up like that. Impossible. Impossible. And Man, why, is- why would you fix a race to set up for a trainer that has one graded stakes win and a jockey that's never even rode in a graded stakes? I mean, why? <laughs> why? Because Baffert. He does not have that much clout in the sport. I'm so sorry to tell you. Uh-oh, here comes the hate mail. Here comes the hate mail directed <laughs> at the Goat Zoom room. <laughs> no, no, they're going to send it to Caitlin Free. <laughs> Dang it. I can't think of the horse's name. Is it Uncle Chad? 
Uh, huh? Uncle Chuck? What did the horse do? What did the horse do? Like, can, well, he won some of the. I mean, he won a stakes race at one time, uh, at one point. I mean, I know that much. Well, Baffert's had a couple of those, so you might want to narrow yeah. it down a little more. Yeah, I'm going to go back and look through some of his horses and see if I can figure it out. No, this horse, this horse everybody used to love, but anytime he got pat, he wouldn't pass any horses, and he wouldn't go buy any horse, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't go buy horses. I mean, that reminds me of Mucho Macho Man, not anybody that Baffert had. Was it Mucho no, no. Gusto? No, not Mucho Gusto. Uh, Keep talking and I'll find it right now. Solomini, that's who it is. Oh, yeah, I kind of agree with that. Maybe a little. I think Messier is a little bit better than Solomini was, but well, I can because, see, I can see where you're going. Yeah, Sol- the minute the minute he Sol- anytime Solomini got passed, he dropped anchor, and that's exactly what Messier does. Yeah, that's exactly what he does. And you know, I was overhearing comments. The entire day about that. Like, oh, you know, I don't like Messier because he didn't show any fight against Taba. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, I know better than you. Well, I was wrong. So, I will admit, I did like Messier a little bit simply because I thought he was going to be more prepared than Taba was. I didn't even hear Taba get a call in the race. And I'll circling back very quickly, just trying to segue to the horses you mentioned, Annie. Tawny Port. Tawny Port ran a hell of a race got six and was closing kind of you know was paddling there at the end but i thought he ran huge i'm not going to disagree with you on that um as far as tab is concerned the one the one thing that scared me with taba was a post position Mm -hmm. with speed on the inside speed on the outside to which he would have a situation to work Mike Smith, if he even breaks just a step slow, like minuscule, he's going to take back. And that's exactly what I figured happen, would happen. And it happened. Well, I, I agree with you. When we were talking about the post, I think we both said out of all of the draw, he probably was the one that was dealt the worst hand. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Still don't think he wins even with a better post just because like the inexperience really showed. And I spent a lot of time around that horse this week with him being in the paddock and in the mornings. Um, Tim Yakteam was actually extremely generous with this horse around the public and he's very mentally advanced and is just incredibly pleasant to be around. So I will say that of the horse. I definitely think he has a big future. If they Are you talking about Tim Yakteam or the horse? About the horse. To be around. Okay. The horse. Um, but Tim Yachting was more than happy to share him with everybody and super sweet horse, super gifted mentally, obviously physically gifted as well. So as long as they can keep him sound and they want to keep him around, I think we'll hear more from him later on in the year. I'm not saying he'll win like a million grade ones or anything, but I mean, I, I think that there's something there with that horse. If I may jump in here, uh, it's worth noting And look, I understand it's a very small sample size. I am not saying that this is indicative of every future result we're going to see. Mm -hmm. Tim Yachtin had four former Bob Baffert runners on Saturday at Churchill Downs. 0 for 4, and none of them were close. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I think think the writing was on the wall uh, with Doppelganger. I believe he was the first one to run. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, who ran? 
Doppelganger, Hoosier, and uh, McLaren oh, Vale. Yeah. Oh, Ma- yeah. 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 I think McLaren Vale is with uh, Rodolphe Brissette. Yeah. Why did I think that was a that was a Yak Teen horse? You might be right about that. Um, but yeah, at it was any also rate, not close. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I've I've never been high on McLaren Vale at all, so that that wasn't that much of a shock to me. Doppelganger, I did expect to be closer, though I. Of the horses that were cutting back in distance from two turn to one turn, I preferred Papa Cap, who ran giant and should never go around two turns ever again, but probably will at some point just because there aren't a lot of one turn mile races that are out there. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what's going on. We have seen Bob Baffert three year olds that don't fire in the Derby take very long breaks through the spring and summer months. I would not be surprised if one or both of these horses takes a while to regroup partially because of the Derby experience, partially because Baffert's suspension that started in April goes 90 days. So he'll be back in early to mid July, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. I think he's back around the 4th of July, but the problem time for Del Mar, how fitting, but I mean, the problematic issue is he won't be able to run in New York. So he can't run in Saratoga. So he's got to go to New Jersey. He'll be there. Or, or have Delmar write a whole bunch of races for him. Oh. And you know they will. That's the problem mm-hmm. with that. Yep. And then they, they wonder why racing is dying. Yep. It's, you know, it's it's the it's the Cat Williams, Jeff, I think it was, where he shoots somebody and then turns around and tries to blame somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's only got himself to blame for what's going on and until he learns that. Uh, and I mean, that's always been my biggest, my biggest issue with Baffert is I would, I actually would have more respect for him and more like, Hey, you know what? Give the guy a break. If he's just being honest and saying, Hey, you know what? We tried something. It didn't work. You know, we, we thought we got it underneath the deadline. We didn't. I'm sorry. And then just move on. Accountability is huge. And that's that's the thing. It's not what he did. It's the fact that afterwards he went on this big media tour, blamed cancel culture, blamed getting framed. And then it turned out, oh, wait, he totally did have that in his system. And then the rallying cry went from Baffert didn't do anything to it was just a cream. Um, And look. We, we'll talk about this another And I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to spend a lot more time on Baffert than we already have. It's a big story, but I, th- there are a bunch of different stories that are coming out of this derby that are way, way better than, than this one. I mean, we, we saw here, – here's a question for you. I don't think Mind That Bird ever won another graded stakes race after he won the Kentucky Derby. He never even won another race. What's the over under on Rich Strike? I think he'll um, win again. I don't know if it. I don't know if it will be in a graded stakes, if it will be in another classic or what have you. But I, I think he'll win another race. I I personally think that that horse will likely. Yeah, that horse. He finished second in the Preakness, third in the Belmont, and that was it. Third in the West Virginia Derby. Uh, mind that bird. Um. I think Rich Strike, I think I think you if Eric Reed is smart with him, he you know, he knows he probably got lucky. I think you'll see him at the Belmont. 
I don't think they're going for the triple. I would, I, I'm against the whole logic deal of, oh, we won the Derby, so we got to run in the Preakness. That horse is not going to win the Preakness. That horse I, is not. No, I wish no. that they wouldn't go that route because I completely agree with you. I think the horse would have a shot in the Belmont. Um, I I think that's, that was where they were intending to run in the first place. They've always been pointing to the Belmont if they could never get in the Derby. So I would agree that would be the best move, but I don't, I think that they will go to the Preakness because the pressure will be too great. Yeah. I mean, we talk a lot about Derby fever and connections, getting Derby fever and whatnot. When was the last time the connections of a Derby winner willingly passed up on the Preakness. Uh, And I'm not talking an issue like country house where he wound up coming up lame and not going to the race. When was the last time that they willingly passed on the race? I, 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 I remember that that was the case with swaps when they shipped him to Kentucky and then went back to California and Nashua won the Preakness in Belmont. There has to have been at least one since then in the 65 years, but, uh, I don't think so because Grindstone was a very similar story to Country House came up lame after the Derby and after a workout. So he couldn't go. Um, I'm not sure Spindabuck went. Um, That was also. Spindabuck go to the Jersey Derby instead? Something happened with Spindabuck where he didn't go. I know that. That might be the answer then. I think Spindabuck was before Swap or after before Swaps. No, no, Spindabuck was in the mid 80s. It was 85. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm well, looking. Those were the yeah. last ones. Wait, but you know what? Swaps Swaps ran against Secretariat, didn't he? No, no. no. Swaps Swaps was in the mid fifties and sixties. That was like Shoemaker or Caro stuff. I'm looking at Spend a Buck in '85. That is the correct answer because he won the Kentucky Derby, but there was the owner of Garden State Park who put up a $2 million bonus for any horse that won the two prep races in New Jersey, the Kentucky Derby, and the Jersey Derby. And as a result, spend a buck, skipped the Preakness in Belmont, ran in the Jersey Derby, won the Jersey Derby, and got that $2 million, which back in 1985 was a metric ton of money. Sounds like they made a good deal because I can't think of who else won the latter two of those races. Oh, I can figure that out here if you'll give me just a moment here. I know that Chief's Crown was the favorite in all three of them and didn't win a single one. Uh, Um, Tate's Prospect won the 85 Preakness. And as we look to the Belmont Stakes, not Tom Frasch, who was the fourth of five straight winners for Woody Stevens. Yes, the New York Bread Gelding. Yeah, so uh, not exactly the best crop there, but hey, I, I think $2 million plus the winner's purse in the Jersey Derby, I think uh, Team Spend-A-Buck was compensated fairly for that decision. I hear you completely on that. My problem with that isn't necessarily an ability thing. It's just a logistical thing. We yeah. talk a lot about how one of the worst arguments in handicapping is closers getting added distance and that potentially being the be all and end all it's a factor it's not the only factor now as far as pedigree goes i think he can get the mile and a half but based on what i saw the belmont is usually more of a race that plotters win as opposed to those who have explosive turns of foot in races that fall apart with that in mind 
I think Mo Donegal's going to be very, very tough in a few weeks in New York. That horse has looked the part of a Belmont winner since his two-year-old year where he won a graded stakes race going a mile and an eighth. I think he's going to be very, very tough there. Zandon is also probably going to bypass the Preakness and head to the Belmont. We're not Are sure about an epicenter. I'd personally wheel epicenter right back if he's healthy. You win the yep. Preakness, you skip the Belmont, and then you focus on Haskell, Travers, Pennsylvania Derby, whatever you want to do. But it's uh, it's an interesting situation to be sure. I, I wouldn't fault Team Rich Strike for trying to, God, this is going to sound horrible, strike while the iron is hot and go for the Preakness. It's tough to resist that kind of temptation. We'll see. I think we will have a recreation, perhaps, of everything in 2009. I'm not saying that Seagrid Oath is Rachel Alexander by any means, but um, as soon as she crossed the wire in the Kentucky Oaks, I was like, D. Wayne's already got the Sally Van there to head to Maryland. If he tells you he's going to the Black Eyed Susan, that is just simply not true because you know he's going to take her to the Preakness. I think he just needed to see who was going to win the Derby first and to see an 80 to one shot win the Derby and it's uncertain if Epicenter is going to go. Heck yeah, I'd take her to the Preakness. She'd be there right now. Uh, she's done everything they've asked. Also, early voting. Could be lone speed in that race and could go wire to wire. Uh, I think it's a very intriguing uh, picture for the Preakness. She's already got her picks. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, uh, never let it be said that Caitlin Free is not prepared. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see what sort of other speed there is in that particular race. I mean, it, it's, it's tough to try to pinpoint horses for the Preakness at this point. You see the Pat Day Mile, and in past years, there have been horses that go from the Pat Day Mile to the Preakness. I don't think Jack Christopher wants any longer than a mile. As good as he looked in that particular race, he was sort of looking around at the end. You could tell that he definitely needed the race. I think the Woody Stevens is probably where you're going to see him next going seven furlongs on the Belmont undercard. It's still a grade one, probably a much softer field over a track where he's already won a grade one race. I mean, we've seen Papa Cap go two turns, but as I've mentioned, I think he is far better going one turn than he is going two turns, and I really hope they keep him going one turn for as long as humanly possible. Other than that, what's there? It's going to be tough, and the less speed that there is, the trendier of a pick early voting looks like. My one hesitation with him is it sure looked like he – I don't want to say had things all his own way, but had a winning trip in the wood and wound up getting beat by a horse that was fifth in the Kentucky Derby. And while it was a decent run, it's not like he ever threatened. I can't see early voting beating the likes of Epicenter if Epicenter chooses to go. And we haven't even talked about simplification yet. All he did was run fourth in Kentucky a couple oh, of days. Who, who is going and uh, Johnny Velasquez is going to get that call on him because obviously the Yaxian horses will not be there. They're already back in California. I think the Japanese horse is already back in Japan. So I think it's just, you know, kind of waiting on epicenter at the, at that point. I think we've pretty much got our answer on all the rest of them. Um, I think Rowan roll is 50, 50, who is our other AE. I would certainly doubt if he goes, I believe creative minister is going to be the color bearer for the Kenny McPeak barn and the Preakness. had a, impressive win at Churchill on the undercard but that was in an allowance race and 
really, I kind of expect with Jack Christopher, him to maybe follow a similar path that life is good. Maybe had last year. I see them kind of being similar horses, but I mean, better a mile and under for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I think if he goes in the Woody Stevens, he's going to be two to five and it's tough to not be two to five in a grade one. Uh, I mean, you see it a lot when, when they start, when they start kind of going elsewhere, you know, um, that's my only issue is I could see, I could see you're right on that issue. I could see that horse going off at one to nine, depending on who he's running against in the Woody Stevens. Right. I mean, I mean, that's the problem there. So um, the question I have, and this is, this is more based on what Caitlin and I have talked about previously. Where do you, where do you see a, the Japan contingent program and where do you see the UAE contingent program at right now? Um, I'll defer to Caitlin on this uh, simply because she knows way more about international racing than, than I do. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've got a couple of thoughts, but I'll let her go first because she knows way more about it than I do. I think we bunked a few of the fallacies that we've had in the Derby. I've heard tons of people say that there was no way summer was summer's tomorrow was going to get the lead because the horses coming from the UAE don't break because we have a bell on our gate. That's simply not true. That horse beat the gate. was almost, almost looked like golden pal flying out of the air. That was never a doubt in my mind that that horse was going to lead and was going to be the fastest out of the gate. So we can finally put that to rest. He was in there to do one thing and one thing only, go super fast and to see how as far he could go. I just didn't think that they expect to, uh, to have that pace pressure from Crown Pride, which I don't think anybody expected that. That was never the plan. I think either the horse just ran off or Christoph Sumion doesn't have the dirt experience and just didn't know what was going on. But as Andy and I have talked about, I think that this race was going to be the golden key for Japan because they figured out what not to do in this race. They figured out you cannot press a suicidal pace like that. You need to be laying just slightly off of it, or you need to be kind of in that plottered mid-pack type of race. And you need to have a jockey that's going to be able to gauge that pace. So I think Japan is going to come very much more prepared. Um, I think they brought a very serious horse this time. I just think the horse got the wrong trip. And I don't want to say he got a bad ride because I think it's honestly very likely that the horse just took off as keyed up as he was. But I think they know what they can and can't do coming forward in this race. And I think this is the race that they're really, really going to figure it out. I I would tend to agree with that assessment. Uh, Crown Pride's a nice horse. Was he the Derby horse? Maybe not. Was he ever going to be the Derby horse with that trip? Absolutely not. This doesn't change the fact that Japan is going to be a major player in derbies moving forward. What I would be very, very interested in learning would be if Japan would ship horses directly to the United States for a final derby prep as opposed to going through Dubai. I think that might wind up being a route that at the very least gets entertained by a couple of different connections. You'll be able to see where your horse stands compared to the American contention as opposed to going to the UAE Derby, beating not much and wondering, okay, how do we stack up? What's going on here? What do we do moving forward? That I think is going to be something to watch. 
I still think Japan wins a Kentucky Derby at some point in the next 10, 15 years. And when they do that, there are going to be a lot of nervous people in Kentucky. Uh, this time around, there's still a lot of nervous people in Kentucky, just not for that reason. Yeah, I definitely think that's where it's headed. In my opinion, I think they will entertain kind of that, um, you know, type of scenario. I think maybe they could pull a similar thing to what they did. Um, the UAE people did with Shahama, bringing her over here with another trainer, letting her spend time here and stuff like that. I think that's something that they will definitely entertain because I just think this was another, um, idea that I heard that I thought made a little bit of sense. Um, I think the way that they train crown pride, they were so like, after him, after him, after him, every day, works, 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 gallops, gallops, out of the gate. They didn't really give him a chance to, like, settle down and just, like, take in the atmosphere, I feel like, in my opinion. So I feel like they need to back off a little bit on the horse and not have him so keyed and so amped up to where when that gate opens and he just explodes. I mean, so a couple uh, a couple of things. One, I'm going to debunk Andrew right now on something uh, regarding you, Dubai because – of, of the three of us, I think I'm a little bit more, no offense, Caitlin, but I think I'm a little bit more versed with Dubai stuff. Yeah, um, you watch it You watch it almost every day. I watch it yeah. maybe once a week. Yeah, so, um, but I will say this. I think, I think the blowout that Crown Pride had two days before the Derby probably had him on his toes way yeah. too much. So... As much as I know that, you know, some trainers do that blowout to keep them on their toes and and show get them to show some speed early in the race, I think it backfired on them. Um, I think maybe if they just went and they galloped them into the race the last week, maybe it's better. Then again, I'm also not a multi-million dollar trainer that's revered in Japan. So I'm not going to question a trainer's ability when he's shown so much success as far as Dubai's concerned you know Mendenhall was the favorite Mendenhall was a false favorite but you know there were signs with Mendenhall saying that he wasn't going to be he wasn't going to win the race he wasn't working well he was he was being real horsey prior when he got here he just you could tell he was his mind wasn't on running then he gets squeezed at the start, and that pretty much shot his entire derby. Mendelssohn, you mean, right? Yeah, Mendelssohn. Why did I say Mendenhall? Because Mendenhall ran on the Kentucky Derby card. I, I remember that. That was a Larry Best horse, right? One of those ridiculously expensive horses that may be a first-level allowance horse. Yes, I'm sorry. Mendelssohn, right? Thunder Snow. Now, Caitlin's issue with Thunder Snow with the, with the ringing – of the gate and the gate placement and the muddy track, that all was like the perfect storm for that horse, right? Sure. I mean, he drew the rail. He, if, if you go back and you look at all his preps going into those races, every single one of his races for, for his three-year-old career were always away from the crowd, right? So now you put a three-year-old who's still growing and still maturing in a position to where he's not used to hearing all those noises. And that's got to be a recipe for disaster. And the only reason why I say that is because look at what he became afterwards. Right. 
that horse wasn't a fluke. That UAE Derby wasn't. You could say whatever you want about the UAE Derby, but if you go back and you look, a lot of the horses that have run in that UAE Derby have come on and have become much better horses later in their careers. Sure, and I'll, I'll absolutely give you that. The thing is, while it does produce top-tier horses later, that's the difference between the way horses are trained everywhere else and the way they're trained here. Here, we have horses ready to go two and three. There, if a horse needs to take until four or five, they'll be given until four and five in order to be the best versions of themselves they can be. It's a fascinating dynamic. And I don't know if that's what necessarily we were aiming for when we started talking about this, but it is something that is worth some merit moving forward, especially given that, hey, over there in Dubai, when they card races for four and five-year-olds during their seasons, those races fill. We card races for four and five-year-olds. Sometimes it doesn't look good. Uh, or, or better yet, we, we card races where we have to have the conditions of three, four, and five-year-old maidens for a tag of 12,500. Yeah, yeah. It's, right? I it, mean, yeah. Um, you know, you could, on any given race day, you're going to get a 10-horse field in, in Dubai, regardless of where you're running, whether it's, you know, Alain or, or any of those places, you're going to get those types here in the States. You don't get those because everybody wants to run quickly and it doesn't work that way. Sure. Shouldn't. <clears throat> Caitlin, you were going to say something. No, I just said, Nope, because I absolutely, I, I'm agreeing with everything you say. And I mean, I, I respect Nick Hines, right? His tweet one day of, oh, well, you know, we're working horses 10 and change. This is outrageous. Dude, you used to, you buy horses that work in 10 and change for your clients. You're part of the problem, <laughs> right? Maybe if you get a horse that's running, working 24, 25 and change, you might actually have a classic horse if you give it enough time to grow run them at the end of a two-year-old career at the end of a two-year-old season don't run them at the beginning of one you're not going to have a derby winner then there's a lot wrong with the system from the top down if it's me you have the two-year-old sales you don't breeze the horses if you want to gallop them you do that. I remember there was one uh, consigner at one of the two-year-old sales who tried to make a statement to that effect and did not breeze his horses, just galloped them. Well, when he did that, those horses didn't bring a whole heck of a lot of money. So it's, it's unfortunate. And there's got to be revolutionary change in that regard, if anything is to get done. And one thing that I can relate to Nick on a little bit is it's tough when your clients are telling you these are the horses we want and these are the horses we want to spend money on and you feel pressured to get those horses for those clients. And if you don't, you're probably losing a client. It's, it's not easy for anybody. The entire system, I personally think, needs to be blown up. But a lot of people are making a lot of money the way that it is right now. So I'm not entirely sure that's going to happen. I, 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 laugh, I laugh at that fact as last. Caitlin knows that I have a client that I've been working with and she's helped him out a little bit, but every time we've had a sale, he's asked me, 
what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Oh, this horse worked quickly. What do you think? Maybe we should go in. And my answers have always been the same thing. No. If he wants to go and get the horse, that's fine. But it's not going to be on my dime or my dollar where I'm going to end up looking like a fool having him get upset with me about a horse that never made it to the races because he bowed a tendon at two after a sale. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Sure. And it's, it is one of those situations where if you ask someone what's more important to you, having a horse that is going to be able to have a long career until ages five or six, or having a horse that goes in 10 flat at a two-year-old sale, it's a legitimate question and it shouldn't be. No. Final so, couple questions going back to the Derby. And the, I want to talk about the Oaks because I think, I think that's important too. Okay. Yep. This is, this is the last question I have about uh, the Derby for both of you. Um, how, I don't want to say unexpected because I'm pretty familiar with Sonny Leone and he's a very good horseman. He just hasn't had that opportunity on the big stage. Um, what do you, what do you think of that ride? Perfect. I think, I think they should show that in jockey schools. Yep, absolutely. I mean, that was a guy who needed to make every decision perfectly in order to get his horse to the winner's circle, and he did. And that last big decision, when he was faced with Messier stopping right in front of him, that was not a decision that he had a couple of strides to be able to process and make that decision. That was entirely based on feel. And if he doesn't make that move, Rich Strike stops. Maybe he finishes fifth or sixth at best. He made that move. Rich Strike responded. And I don't know of a lot of other jockeys that would have made that move in that particular spot. I'm not saying he's an all-time great rider, but that was an all-time great ride. Look, I've seen him. I remember when he – I remember he caught my eye back in, I want to say – 2018, 2017, when he was riding between Fort Erie and Woodbine, mm-hmm. right? And all he was doing was riding Tapita tracks. I mean, the dude, the dude can flat out ride on Tapita tracks. Yep. Don't get me wrong, but the dude can ride. Period. I mean, he's a really sharp rider, so it it doesn't surprise me that he does that. He's he ran he. He did it exactly what he was told to do based on what I, I listened to a interview with uh, Eric Reed. And he basically said, you know, the one thing that we did with the horse was we just told Sonny, just, just keep him in contact with whoever, with, with one horse. That's all he told him. Just keep him in contact and then make your move on the back stretch. Because as long as you keep him in contact, he's going to run. He's going to do it. He's going to run his race. And that's what he did. He did exactly what they told him to do. And, you know, you could go, like, I texted you the after the Oaks. Fla- Look, Shahama wasn't going to win that race, but Flavian Pratt lost it for her. Because he didn't know whether to go inside or outside, and then he went inside, and then he had to take up and had to go outside. That pretty much shot her wad, I mean, pretty much. So, no, I mean, I mean, there, there are two different viewpoints there where Flavian goes into the front, goes to a spot where he thinks he's going to, he's going to be able to go and the horse backs up. And then you have Sonny Leone who makes that split second decision. So yes, I did call out a a rider. (laughs) 
Well, I truly, truly think that move around Messier, as Andrew said, um, I keep going back and watching it and watching the overhead. That is your winning move right there. And I don't think I've ever seen so much courage from a rider that's just kind of, you know, never been on the big stage. And of course it doesn't matter, but I mean, he just flat out rode all of those other riders flat out, out rode everybody and got the most of his horse. And I mean, kudos to him, as you said, uh, it's one of the greatest rides ever I've ever seen since I've been watching uh, horse racing and might, might go down as one of the greatest rides of all time when everything's, you know, said and done with all this, but pivoting back to the Kentucky Oaks, um, definitely emotional with the Oaks and the Derby. I feel like the two most feel good stories that could have come out of both of those races absolutely did seeing the coach get his fifth Kentucky Oaks winner after a 32 year drought at nearly 87 years old. Um, I feel like the whole place at Churchill Downs was in tears. And I hate to say I hopped off Secret Oath a little bit because I did, because I was such a believer for so long. But I just thought the Arkansas Derby took a lot out of her. And boy, she proved me wrong. Yeah. As I mentioned, when I was watching the race, I had Echo Zulu. And visually, I thought Echo Zulu looked really nice going into the far turn. Secret Oath ranges up. Echo Zulu responds a little bit. Then Luis Saez does the look under the arm. And anybody that has watched a lot of races knows that when a jockey makes that move, if you've got another horse in the race, you're done. If you have that horse, just line up at the window and wait for the race to go official. He had a metric ton of horse in the tank for that particular ride. And look, this is a horse that did not have the greatest trip in the Arkansas Derby. A lot of horses did not have a great trip in the Arkansas Derby, and she was one of them. She bounces back, beats a really good group of three-year-old fillies. We're talking about Echo Zulu, who a mile and eighth is probably just a little bit further than she wants to go. I love her in the test at Saratoga in a couple of starts, just a little bit too long, I think, for her talents and what she wants to do. Nest ran second. Kathleen O did not run terribly. Uh, Also, the Arizona bred, a good story, running in third there and getting a grade one uh, black type placing there. But yeah, Secret Oath is a monster. She is an exceptionally talented filly. And if she goes in the Preakness, she's going to be one of the favorites. And not just because she's a Philly going against the boys, which usually makes a Philly one of the betting choices. She's going to be there based on ability. And it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world if she won that race. I, I think I take, I think I waited until after the race to text Caitlin and go, I kept seeing those numbers on secret oath and I just couldn't get off of them. I just, I mean, I love Shahama and I even told this to, my friend, Scott Calabrese, I said, I said, damn it. I should really, really just smack myself in the face and go take the horse that makes the most sense. I know you love Shahama, but take the horse that makes the most sense and tell everybody secret oath is going to be the winner. And I didn't do that. It, it <laughs> so. was definitely there for the taking. Cause we talked about it so many times. We're like these numbers, like she stands out so much. I just thought that the Arkansas Derby probably took a lot, lot out of her. And against, you know, maybe an all-time great Oakfield, it was very, very tough to ask. I have to hand it to Echo Zulu. If she, if Secret Oath is in that race, maybe she does get caught by Nest and the intimidation of Secret Oath. But um, she reminds me so much of Serengeti Empress. 
I think they're very much similar horses. Uh, you could almost throw Gamine in there as well. Uh, she, she ran a heck of a race. I, I was so proud of her. She ran really well. I've got no complaints. I needed secret. I needed Echo Zulu rather absolutely everywhere. Uh, and I'm not cheated by the effort. Maybe went a little bit fast early on with Yugiri mm-hmm. basically solely in the race to do what Summer is tomorrow did in the Derby. Go as fast as you can for as long as you can. Uh, it, it maybe that burned up Echo Zulu a little bit, but even so, even if that was the case, even with a perfect trip, I think she's second to Secret Oath just because Secret Oath ran about as well as I think anyone could have expected her to run on that first Friday in May. Yeah, I, I'm just kicking myself that I didn't that I didn't place a win bet on her and just had her on on triple on doubles and Oaks double and pick fours and all that because I think I would have made. A lot of money. <laughs> what, did, what did she go off at in the end? Was she nine to two? Nine to two or four to one, one of the two. Yeah, that's what I thought. And then one shout out, Pauline's Pearl ran huge. Yes. Yep. She, she did. She might have she might have broke broke that Philly's heart. Yep. Yeah, um Pauline's Pearl ran big. And there's one other thing that I need to point out. It's not from the Friday card, it's from the Saturday card. I firmly believe the best horse we saw over those two days was Speak of the Devil, who ran in the Distaff Turf Mile and did something maybe only three or four horses have ever caused me to do. Watching the race, in Italians in front, Arad Ortiz Jr. has been let loose on a pretty easy lead. Speak of the Devil flies up under absolutely no urging from Flavian Pratt. My jaw drops, and I can't stop myself from saying, holy shit. That was an Arazi kind of move. And mm-hmm. you don't see that from a whole heck of a lot of horses. I think we saw the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf winner in that particular race, guys. Uh, they may she- not even point her there. They may point her to the, the Turf Classic. She's that good. She, she ran fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. She was probably the most impressive winner on the card. And what about Jackie's warrior? Easy for him. Uh, he just give the best horse in the race, the easiest trip in the race. That horse isn't going to get beat. Uh, he ran well. I'm not discounting that, but if nobody's going to go with him, you may as well take the winner's circle photo and just have everyone else go home. Yeah. I mean, I mean, one that horse that horse has always been kind of some sort of special. Um, you know, he's just another Matoli in a lot of ways. I think he's distance limited, and uh, you know, I think the most you might be able to get him out of, out of him is maybe seven furlongs. But you know, anything under seven furlongs, he's he's definitely a horse that probably will end up winning a lot of races. I mean, he can go a mile. We've seen him go a mile with some effect. It's got to be a one-turn mile, though, for him. It can't be a situation where you're asking him to go two turns. That's just not what he has carved out to do. Be interesting to see where they go next with him. Really hope they go to the Met Mile with him. Then again, that Met Mile is going to be attracting a lot of really good, really fast, really fragile horses. Looking at you, Flightline. (laughs) (laughs) if they even make it there i think um 
I think life is good as pointed to Whitney. I don't believe he's going to go to the Met Mile. I'm trying to think of who else would go to the Met Mile. At this I can point. tell you who I really hope goes there. And I don't know if he will. Please, John Sheriffs, please send Express Train to the Met Mile. That horse is such a better one-turn horse than a two-turn horse. And he's been running in these two-turn races in California because nobody's running in these two-turn races in California. And it would be stupid to keep him in the barn. This horse, look back at the race he ran chasing charlatan in the Malibu as a three-year-old. He ran a race that wins a lot of Malibus. He just got beat by a freak. Uh, I have been clamoring to see this horse go one turn against top flight competition. I hope we see it. I don't think we will. No, I think think Sheriff's is, I I think that's one of the situations to where Sheriff's is just getting is being told how to what races to put them in and uh you know until until he gets beat going two turns and it'll happen it'll happen at the delmar <coughs> delmar pacific classic right <clears throat> it all depends on who goes there too yep precisely. oh it looks like stiletto boys become a force out there Boy, how bad is the West Coast <clears throat> Handicap Division where we're talking ourselves into Stiletto Boy? Hey, he beat him on the square. Still, it's just... I I remember, I was there for this one. Oblige me a little story. I was there for the Santa Anita Handicap with Game on Dude, Mucho Macho Man, and We'll Take Charge. Uh, one of my all-time favorite races. It was a five-horse field and nobody cared because the top three were so darn good. I remember when those races meant something. I remember when those races would get horses that would run back and would keep running and you'd be able to get behind them. Like It, it just, it's further evidence of the fact that horses are peaking earlier and earlier. They're not running as long or as far as they used to call me crazy and call me a grumpy old coot in a 33 year old's body. I miss those days. I miss when those races mattered. I miss when we had top notch handicap horses, throwing it down once a month. And it stinks that that doesn't happen anymore. You know, and you, know, you know what I miss to be honest. And I'm an old coot. So I can say this. Um, I miss those Wednesdays, Wednesday cards at Santa Anita and at Belmont where you would get a promising three-year-old running and you would know that that horse was meant to go to the Derby. Mm -hmm. Then you don't get that anymore. You don't get Wednesday cards anymore at a lot of places. I mean, Saratoga still has them. I would not be at all shocked if the plan at some point is to go four days a week there, still run the 40 days and extend the meet starting in say late June, early July. I mean, they got rid of Monday racing and I think that was absolutely the right move because the last couple of years, Saratoga ran on Mondays. Those Monday cards were hideous, but it's unfortunate for sure. And a lot of that is due to the declining full crop. That's another show. But at any rate, what we saw on Friday and Saturday at Churchill, that's a lot of the good in horse racing. And it's also a lot of the bad beat stories that some of us are going to be reminding people about for a very, very, very long time. I think Friday and Saturday at Churchill 
after, you know, COVID, all of the Baffert hoopla, so many other things. I think that is the best I have seen racing as a feel-good story, as a fantastic card put together, I think in maybe the last two or three years. Well, if I may point one thing out, and you guys are going to throw stuff at me for this, but this is the conspiracist in me. I understand wanting to put the 2021 Kentucky Derby behind them as fast as they could. Maybe wait until the test results come back this time before you put Rich Strike's name on the marquee. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong or anything nefarious going on. Just learn from what happened last year. They put his name up, I'm pretty sure, before the race even went official. It was up in five minutes. But I will tell you, and Andy, I think, can attest to this, too, because he's been in Ohio and Kentucky enough. Just like I have, I have never heard one bad thing about Eric Greed. He's been training for nearly 40 years. And if he wanted to do some nefarious stuff, I don't think he would have waited this long. No. And that's the other thing with people that are trying to say and use the horse's disposition after the race as quote unquote evidence of, oh, that horse was on steroids and da 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 da. Eric Reed's training record, by all indications, is that of someone who would not do that. Let's maybe consider the source before we go there. I'm just more so thinking, you know, after we've been here took, before. Yes, after it took nine months to determine who won the 2021 Kentucky Derby, maybe take a week before you put that placard up there. So, I, I lost my train of thought on this one. Probably my <laughs> fault. Sorry about that, Chief. No, it wasn't. It wasn't your fault. It's just my old age. Um, it, you know, like Caitlin said, Eric Reed doing that. But you know, you know how much of a good feel good story this is. The Dan Levitard show with Stu Gotts actually discussed the race. Of course, they said that they've never seen a horse eat another horse, so therefore they think the horse was on cocaine. But nonetheless, you're getting major outlets to talk about something else, even if it's in a joking way, right? I mean, we've seen horses savage, and I and I texted, or uh, Catherine Terrell of the Athletic texted me, and she's like, she's like, did you see what happened with the horse? I go, yeah. I go, I wish I would have seen that before the race because if he was doing that before the race, I might have bet a couple dollars on him. He was. It, but I didn't see it because freaking freaking NBC doesn't show the horses. They go to commercials. Well, it's not like they would have really even shown wrist strike anyway, probably. But but, yeah. that, but see, you have to be there to see that. If I was there to see that, who knows? I may have I may have gone off of that. Because that's huge mm-hmm. when he when a horse does that before a race. Well, I will, I will say based off people that saw him in the morning, saw him in the paddock, he looked really good. What I really thought about this horse was he was training good. He looked good. The distance was going to be in his favor, probably the pace and probably getting back on dirt a track he liked. I thought this horse in the best case scenario he could do would be picking off horses late and run a respectable 10th. He was going to run his race and he was going to run huge. <laughs> Never expected him to run top five, let alone win the thing. No, that's for sure. I mean, if you like closers, in theory and on paper, there were better closers in the race. Yeah, for sure. There was like five more. Yeah, there was Zandon. There was Mo Donegal, the name too. It's, uh, again, part of the shock 
is the fact that, look, there are times where you can go back and you can say, okay, here's why that 80 to one shot ran huge. The race flow was certainly a big thing. And we knew that there was going to be some pace signed on on paper, unless you were crazy about that 17 length win over maiden claimers at Churchill downs, there just wasn't anything there. And that's ultimately what's going to keep us talking about this race for a very, very, very long time. I mean, the upset that I keep thinking of it because I'm a Saratoga guy was Jim Dandy over Gallant Fox. But even Jim Dandy won a couple of races as a two-year-old, including a pretty big stakes race over a muddy track. That, you mean you're know, not going to go with Onion or Upset? Nah, nah, I'm, I'm a contrarian. And also I was thinking of the-, the Those Jim were Dandy. still credible horses though. And I was also thinking of the Jim Dandy bar at Saratoga. By the way, two months until the start of the Saratoga season. Not like I'm keeping track or anything like so that. So before, before we, we end it, um, plug what you're doing now as far as as far as your Twitch stuff and all that so people can yeah can please watch it. Sure. Uh, so as you may have seen following my Twitter at, at Andrew Champagne, I've started diving into the Twitch side of things. Always been a big video game guy, realized I had the equipment to stream and just decided to do it. Uh, been doing a lot as far as out of the park baseball 23. Also, though, one of the things that I was very proud of the night before the Kentucky Derby did a stream playing some champion jockey video game from the early 2010s that got ported over from Japan, has some American and Japanese horses. You've just got to work to find out which ones are which. Uh, my Twitch is at 142 winners. Those who follow me know that story. Uh, by all means, if you've got a Twitch account, go over there, hit that follow button, trying to grind my way over to affiliate. I believe you need 50 followers in order to get to affiliate status. So hopefully get there sooner rather than later. Going to be streaming a couple of times a week. And of course, with regard to horse racing stuff, I'm always going to be around. We mentioned Saratoga in a couple of months. Pleasanton next month is going to be a lot of fun. Going to be doing a lot of on-track seminars there for the fine people at the California Association of Racing Fairs. Uh, That's always a really good time, something I look forward to every year. And pro tip, if you're ever struggling as a racing fan with some of the problems that plague the sport, go to a racing fair. You will be as rejuvenated as you can possibly be when you go to a racing fair. You go and find some weird fried food. You go and find some ice cream flavors you're not going to find anywhere else. You just find a chair, sit down, you watch eight or nine races, maybe some mules, maybe some Arabians, maybe some quarter horses, whatever. Go to a racing fair. You're going to enjoy yourself. And if you're in Northern California, go to Pleasanton on a weekend and chances are you'll see me if you just look up. Will the why will the why will your better half be there? Uh, possibly. I forced her to sit through a couple of seminars last year. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Caitlin forces her better half to do that. I don't know if that's forced anymore. I feel like it is not forced. Yeah, at some point this is going to be a four-person thing, and Kyle's going to be telling me about first-time starters to watch at Saratoga. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will tell you straight up. I either have trained him well or he has something that you don't see from people just getting into this business. He has an eye, and I have to tell you, I'm very, very proud, but I will say he's becoming some sort of a degenerate. He's like, I need you to sign me up for PPs, and I need you to know that I'm going to be playing these cards for Belmont and Churchill, and I'm going to be playing them regularly to get practice. And I'm like, okay. 
<laughs> you have the time you have the money just just go on with your bad self enjoy it have a good time so he's he's making his own decisions he's not playing off my horses anymore he really wanted tis the bomb to win the derby which that had nothing to do with skill nor handicapping it's just because he's obsessed with that horse and it's funny the connections actually know about him and he, he they think he's tis the bomb's good luck charm and i think out of all the horses in the Derby, I think Tis the Bomb perhaps got the worst break and maybe the worst trip out of everybody. So I think we'll hear more from him later, whether it be on turf or Tapita or what have you. But yeah, Kyle definitely up and coming with everything he's doing with horse racing. And um, I couldn't be more proud. There you go. That's All righty. <laughs> well, close us out, Caitlin. You have been listening to the Goat Zoom Room. This is the 148th Derby and Oaks recap. We will be back soon, hopefully to talk more about Churchill, Belmont, and of course the Preakness coming up in two weeks. Going to have some special guests on as well, but we will continue to take you through the Triple Crown, the summer, and on to the Breeders' Cup. Good night.